Well, on the 21st of May, we will go to the polls um, to elect the next Australian government and therefore our next Prime Minister, but not our next king. Um, we did not elect our king. Actually, we don't have a king at present, do we? We have a queen, but presumably we will in King Charles. At some point, Prince Charles will become King Charles and sovereign of Australia's constitutional monarchy, which is really just a ceremonial and uh, symbolic role. However, there is a small Republican movement in Australia that's recently, and, and the national director of the uh, Australian Republic, of, uh, Republic movement has recently said the notion of a king of Australia is as foreign to Australians as the monarchy itself. Australians deserve to have an Australian chosen by Australians as the head of our nation. Now, I want to be very clear that I'm not making a, uh, a political statement at this uh, point. Make of the Commonwealth, make of the monarchy what you will. It's beside the point. The point is to help us begin to think about the idea of king. Because it's true to say that the idea of a king is quite foreign to us. And yet the Bible would submit that we need one. And the Bible would also say that actually we already have one. We all live according to the rule of someone, right, or something. It may be money, it may be pleasure, it may be reputation, it may be yourself. But make no mistake, we all have a king. The question is, who is the rightful king? Who should be our king? And the language of king was extremely conspicuous in, in those readings that we had read for us, um, wasn't it? And the loaded question that we're thinking about today is Pilate's question to the Jews, shall I crucify your king? And it's a loaded question because the Jews were actually expecting one. And so the Bible has anticipated a king to, to rule God's people in God's place under God's rule. And it even actually established qualifications for this king. And there are five qualifications. You ready? So first, the king had to be chosen by God. That was the first qualification. The second qualification was that this king had to be an Israelite. That is, God would choose from among the people. And three, the king <clears throat> would depend on God for success and security and peace and prosperity. Four, that the king was to be faithful in his rule and in his personal life. And finally, five, the king had to be a descendant of King David, right, of David and Goliath. And actually, it is David's story, as well as the stories of all the other rulers in the Old Testament, that sets us up for the coming of the true and the better king. And it was this king that God's people were waiting for. Now, before we move on, if you're familiar with the person and the work of Jesus, you can see how Jesus actually fulfills each of those qualifications for king, can't you? But in the heat of the moment, his own people couldn't or wouldn't acknowledge this. Now, Jesus has already asked, um, sorry, Pilate has already asked Jesus flat out in chapter 18, are you the king of the Jews? And to which Jesus responds, he responds unusually but unambiguously with yes. And so the assumed accusation <clears throat> against Jesus is that he claimed to be king and now he is mercilessly mocked for it. 
There in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 19, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. And they would almost certainly have done so one at a time, offering him mock homage as king, bowing down before him, only then to rise and to strike him in the face. And the Jewish leaders, they're actually egging them on. And so verse 7 there, the Jewish leaders insisted, look, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Now, up to this point, the charges against Jesus actually haven't been entirely clear if you've been reading the gospel story. But now the Jews charge him with blasphemy. That is, he made himself out to be the son of God. Now, at this, Pilate actually becomes a little fearful. Did you notice that? He becomes fearful. Now, we're not told uh, what Pilate became fearful of or who Pilate became fearful of, but ultimately... Every single governor would have been fearful of Caesar. And the Jews knew this. The Jews would remind him only a few verses later, look, if you let this man go, you were no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king (coughs) opposes Caesar. Perhaps if they couldn't get Pilate to crucify Jesus for blasphemy, perhaps they could get Pilate to crucify him for sedition, for he claimed to be a king. And therefore was, was a threat to, 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 this, to Caesar. But Pilate actually uses this against him, against them. Notice he asks, shall I crucify your king? See what he did there? Shall I crucify your king? He's taking a sort of subtle shot back at them. And even when Pilate finally hands Jesus over to, over to be crucified, <clears throat> he actually exasperates him even further, fastening to the cross a sign. Did you notice that sign there in, in uh, verses 19 and 22? Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. And the chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And Pilate ensures actually that everyone and anyone who might be gathering for Passover in Jerusalem will be able to read it. The sign with the title King of the Jews, it's in three languages. It's in Aramaic, it's in Greek, it's in Latin. Greek was a language of the, of the Roman world. Uh, Greek was a language of, pardon the, yeah, the, the, of the entire world at that point. And Latin was a language of the empire and Aramaic was a language of God's people. Now, it's not immediately clear as to why Pilate does what he does, but it clearly gets underneath their skin, doesn't, doesn't it? And, of course, it represents one of the greatest and most unforgettable moments of irony in all of history. The entire scene is just dripping with irony, isn't it? Because, of course, no matter what Pilate intended to say by his words, the title given to Jesus was perfect in every way. We throw this title around occasionally and, and, and it sticks occasionally, doesn't it? We, we called Elvis the king of rock and roll. 
we called, um, was it Michael Jackson, the, the king of pop? We, we called Wally Lewis simply the king. And of course he called Shane Warne the king of spin. And Prince Charles will soon rightfully become King Charles. But the title was never so fitting as when it was fastened to the cross above Jesus' crown of thorns. See, for Pilate, the, the, the title, the King of the Jews, this is a meaningless title. But for anyone with the eyes to see and the ears to hear, it is a title full of meaning and full of hope. If you've never quite grasped the big picture before, from beginning to end, the, the Bible proclaims God's eternal sovereignty over all things. He reigns supreme as both creator and sustainer of all that exists. And yet unexpectedly, the Bible also recounts in some detail how Adam and Eve rejected God as their king with disastrous consequences for the history of humanity. And life on earth became chaotic as another replaced God's rule. But God did not abandon us to our fate. Right? In a process spanning generations, God embarked on a mission to rescue us from the power of evil and death. And that is the mission that lies at the heart of the whole biblical story. And there are many parts to it. There are many, many parts to it. But one essential part is God's promise and provision of a king. And the Bible makes it clear that Jesus really is the long-awaited king who would rule God's people in God's place under God's rule. And friends, the, the cross is the key. The cross is the key that unlo unlocks God's kingdom to you and to me. And then the resurrection swings the door wide open. In his trial before Pilate, Jesus, he doesn't reject the title King of the Jews, but, but he does interpret it. He says, look, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. <coughs> His kingdom is God's kingdom. And, and those who acknowledge Jesus as king become members of God's kingdom. And while the kingdom is already present and growing on the earth, the Bible anticipates a time when Jesus is going to come back and finish what he started. <clears throat> the history of humanity is often written according to the reigns of powerful kings, aren't they? So we've all heard of kings of uh, Africa and kings of Asia and Europe and South America who ruled for um, generations and their empires uh, were, were huge. But they all have at least one thing in common, don't they? They're gone, right? They're dead. They don't rule anymore. The mighty armies have disappeared. Their power has vanished. And of course, there's only one exception to that rule. There's one king whose power has never faded and whose kingdom will never end. And that king, of course, is Jesus. And he rules and he reigns even now. And one day, this is the truth, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is the true king. And so here is my question for you this morning. Is he your king? Make no mistake, you have a king. You have a king. We all live according to the rule of someone or something. 
the question is, who is the rightful king? Who should be your king? Might it not be the king of kings? The one who was chosen by God from among the people. The one whom depended on God and was and is faithful in his rule and life. The one who is descended from David. Might it not be the king of kings? But the story of humanity, right, is actually our rejection of his rule. That's the story of humanity. And in his place, we rule ourselves. And, and I think that is the biggest obstacle for Australians to accept Jesus <clears throat> as their king, right? He is going to challenge your personal autonomy. He is going to challenge your personal autonomy. But Jesus is not some constitutional monarch whom we call on to conduct ceremonies or invite into our lives as a guest of honour occasionally, No, Jesus asks for far more than you ever thought, but he offers far more than you ever dreamed. But in order to receive the blessings our king has for us, we need to submit to his rule. There are only two ways to live. You can either reject Jesus' as ruler or submit to Jesus as your ruler. And so, which way do you want to live? He's not just another king. He was the one the world has been waiting for. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. We're going to watch just a short clip now. And Gary, we might, Gary, we might have these lights turned off so that we can see.